This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hello, friend. I'm Jeff Gibbard, and this is my podcast, Shareable. I decided to call it Shareable because the conversations I have with my guests are so good, you got to tell someone about it. Shareable is a variety show of sorts where we talk about culture, relationships, leadership, dating, business, comics, marketing, art, sales, and more. Wherever the conversation takes us, one thing is for sure. This podcast is Shareable. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, I have a guest calling me from the other side of the world. Here I am in Philadelphia and calling me from Singapore to have a conversation about empowering women and making the world a better place is Janisha Alora. Janisha, welcome to Shareable. Thank you for having me on your show, Jeff. My pleasure to have you. So uh, I want to start off by uh, just acknowledging something that I think is really interesting. So you and I have very similar ambitions. Uh, I read somewhere uh, you wrote, I started Soul Rich Women so that women can shortcut their process to success. People often mistake soul rich women as just for a business, but we are also working at what success means to a person. And I love this. And the reason is, is that I want to help people take the shortcut to becoming a superhero. Uh, I, want, I also want to help them understand what it is to be a superhero in this world and recognize that they have the power to create this better world. So both you and I have the similarities in that we're both huge fans of process and in the deeper conversation around what success really means or what uh, changing the world really means. Um, and I think to both of us, I, I, I'm confident in saying, I believe for you it's about more than just money because in looking at your history, we're going to go through some of that. You chose the name Soul Rich Women for a reason. And I want to know more about that. You're making about more than just money. So talk to me a little about why you chose the name Soul Rich Women. So soul rich woman simply means that every single woman can be owning fully their F word, which is being fabulous, having freedom and financial independence. So this is a movement where all the women can gather around the world, especially in Southeast Asia, to really rise up and, you know, um, do things together. We help uh, women to go from offline to online. And I really believe that being rich is just not about the material, but also the you know um, internal as well. So that when your mind, body, and soul is aligned, you know you can really shine. So business, you go online, and then you know it's like you know what 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 is that? What is that F word mean to you? Or what is that? Um, what is that F word means to you? It could be a better marriage, a happier life, you know, fulfilling your dreams, having more fun. So it's kind of like encompassing um, the whole spirit of the effort. I absolutely love it. And I also like how be, you, by, you know, I've seen in a lot of your marketing copy and the things you put elsewhere is you talk a lot about this whole owning the F word. And I love it because you're, you're kind of subverting the expectations and, and making people think something different. And then you're, you're doing the pivot to say fabulous freedom, financial independence. And, and I absolutely love the, what you're doing there. So um, I want to do a couple of things to kind of start us off to give the context for everyone. Uh, before we go too deeply into anything about your story, about what you're working on, any of that, can you just give a very brief overview of what, what, does, what is Soul Rich Woman right now? 
what does the business look like? What's the size of the network? What's the type of impact you're trying to make, the different services? Just a, a real kind of high level so that people know what we're talking about. So basically, Soulrich Women help women to go from offline to online. We are in Southeast Asia. We have 200,000 members in our network um, in the region. And what we do is we focus on two areas is to get clients online and as well to get recognition online. So either in your personal recognition or your business recognition. Essentially, that's what we do in a nutshell, which is to help women to go from offline to online. Excellent. And I know a lot of that has to do with both marketing and branding and sales, but also a lot to do with kind of what your processes and technologies are. So, so that's the kind of day-to-day -day what you're working on. I want to back out a little bit before we get into your journey of how we got here. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what your big vision is in the world. So if I could give you a magic wand right now, and you could wave it, and create the ideal world. Now, maybe you can't, you know, make everyone live forever and, you know, have an abundant source of food, but, but kind of working with the natural conditions of the world. If you could change the system around and build your ideal world, what would it look like? What's the thing you're out to try and change with the work that you're doing? And if you were to be as successful as is possible in the work that you're doing, what would the world look like after that? Well, we women will not be just about competition. We will be about collaboration. In Chinese, it's called woman. We means, it actually means women, women, W-O-M-E-N. Uh, but in Chinese, it's called woman. It means us, which means togetherness. Uh, I believe that uh, with the magic wand, I'll be able to see women coming together, supporting each other, and really rising up without limitations of fear, without limitations of, uh, you know, their past experiences and the situations or the societal pressures that's around them. So women are free to do what they love to do, pursue what they have ever desired and to really shine in brilliance, in totality, in the total impact they're supposed to make and serve with their gift and talents in the world. I love it. So um, talk to me a little bit about you know, you, you work with women and you work with women primarily in Southeast Asia. Um, what do you think are some of the unique challenges that women face? I would say globally would be something I'm most interested in if you have a perspective on that. What do you think are some of the unique challenges that women face uh, in building a business in, uh, finding their, their and owning the F word? But, um, you know, even if not globally, then in the market that you serve in Southeast Asia, and I actually probably separately, it would be interesting to know specifically in Southeast Asia, what are some of the unique challenges that women face relative to men? So the unique challenges first would be culture. Here in Southeast Asia, we are formed by many different countries. So culturally, we're quite different. Um, how it affects us, like in Myanmar, they only use Facebook. Um, so if you were to do business online, like in Instagram, you know, probably you wouldn't be able to reach out people uh, to my to my network in Myanmar, right? So also like in Malaysia, um, they do a lot of, uh, they do a lot of like online stuff, but um, they still do business primarily through WhatsApp and they still like to do bank transfers. Um, they still have credit cards, but one out of five women in Malaysia owns a company. So we, were, we want to hope, we hope that we can increase the number of women um, owning a business or owning a company that can make money, right? That's profitable. The other one in 
that we first had real problem in was in Hanoi, Vietnam, when we first, because our messaging was all about, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, doing business online. But we went to Hanoi, the, the culture of the, over there literally is about, you know, women, um, if you are doing business full time, you, you are not seen as filial to your family. So the stigma of, you know, knowing that if you were to step out of your job role, because typically you're asked to like, you know, study and then get a job and then find a husband and then have kids. So um, this pathway is still in the societal pressure. So when we are there in Hanoi, so we had to tweak the messaging to, you know, three to four hours a week, you know, you need to really do a side hustle, you know, are you getting more confident, have a voice, you know, so that you can get out from the kitchen and, you know, look at how you can arrange your time better to do the business online. Like in Philippines, uh, the market is quite different. Uh, Philippines is fertile ground for female entrepreneurship. But because of the, the knowledge about going online, a lot of them, they brought products from overseas and then they put on those marketplace platforms. And then they said, you know, it's a, uh, you know everybody's selling the same thing. So at the end of the day, it becomes like a price war amongst the different shops on the marketplace platforms. So they don't really understand or know about branding or, or should I say differentiating themselves from the red ocean to become their own blue ocean. So we focus a lot about you know, differentiating themselves um, with our Soul Rich Woman blueprint in the market as well. So these are just some examples of you know, what are the differences serving just uh, within the Southeast Asia market. Uh, but we also work with partners who believe in the brand and the vision of Soul Rich Woman and who, who take the framework of the Soul Rich Woman blueprint and work with their local communities as well. So most of my experience, in fact, I would say almost all of my experience in business has been in the United States. I've done some international speaking. and I, I have some friends and also um, have had some clients internationally. Um, so I don't know as much about how business is conducted outside of the United States. Um, so I'd like a little bit of insight into what it's like to start a business in Asia. Um, my perception of it would be that it would be very difficult because in America, we get this kind of, you know, this is the land of the free and the, the home for entrepreneurs and things like that. But I don't think that's necessarily true. It sounds to me from the work that you're doing and the stories that you have on your website, even that entrepreneurship is thriving throughout the world. So can you talk to me a little bit about you know, you you alluded to some of the kind of cultural challenges. I'm worried about some of, uh, I'm concerned and interested in, to learn about some of the structural sort of, whether it's how you uh, get licensing or government or the different things that you need to do to actually establish a business entity, taxes, things like that. What's that look like in Southeast Asia? Well, so like for Singapore, it's pretty easy. I mean, as long as you find a corporate services company who can do a great job for you, like how much do you need to do your startup capital? And then um, how long do you need to start a company? What kind of things you need to put in? And then of course, every year you have to calculate your, you know, your revenue and then you have to see whether you need to pay tax or not. So it's a very structured process, especially in Singapore. When I was doing business in Indonesia, like I run a cafe retail chain, um, Indonesia is, uh, we, we need to find people, work uh, local partners. You need to have a partner uh, who is there and who has a company and who is willing to, you know, um, you need to give up the shares. I think depending on the arrangement between you and your partner, you need to give up part of the equity to your the other partner. So really, really depends on um, what which country and 
just by us country there's also different uh, I mean different cities as well like um, between Jakarta versus Surabaya versus anywhere else in Indonesia for example is also quite different um, in Malaysia uh, it's also pretty much the same uh, sometimes processes take a little bit longer and you know everybody loves holidays so especially times when holidays are involved starting a company would be uh, you know, like if you have to go through all the licensing, it would be a little bit tough. But overall, Southeast Asia is definitely thriving because uh, we have, I think, the structural uh, inputs of from the various sources, like for example, the government, like in Singapore, they are pushing for entrepreneurship. So they will have fundings involved, you know, they will have like um, a places where you can source for uh, your startup capital, things like that to really help the younger generation to really rise up in terms of this, um, you know, structural effects. At the end of the day, you still need someone to guide you through the processes. Um, I didn't start or, or succeed on the first try. I would say that we, we had our, you know, bumpy road. Uh, but by going local in that country itself, I would say different parts of Southeast Asia between Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, uh, Myanmar and Cambodia, all the rules are different. So doesn't mean that one size will fit all. So it's always best not just to check with a website or go online and do your research, but you definitely need to know somebody on the local ground to ask exactly the process or sometimes whatever that has been said that is the process may not be what it is. So it's always good to know uh, someone who's really professional and really knowledgeable and trustworthy is the key. I love it. So I want to back up and go a little bit into your story because I think for anyone who's been listening to this little introduction of us kind of getting to know one another and talking a little bit about your vision and what you've accomplished and everything, it might sound like, oh, well, you've been doing this for your entire life and obviously you have a, a background in this, et cetera. But um, I think it's an interesting uh, time to introduce your background. So starting from you've been working since you were 14 years old, You've had an eclectic past. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the 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 kind of quick intro of what your background has been? Because I think people will find it surprising who don't already know who you are. I think first and foremost, uh, eclectic is an interesting word to use. <laughs> I think first and foremost, um, so I, when I did first of all, when I did So Rich Woman, I mean. This is now my legacy business. But before this, I was doing a cafe retail chain. I was running a cafe retail chain with my other partners. Uh, we, we started from Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia, and almost went into Vietnam. So that's why I understood, you know, when you said, you know, the rules and regulations, the licensing and everything, yeah, we, we have been through that. So um, after four years running cafe retail chain from scratch, uh, selling franchisees and licenses um, is really amazing. Four years after, we actually exited to a public listed company. But during the time when I was running my cafe retail chain, um, I was based in Indonesia. And at that time, even though I have everything, I have money, I, have, I was successful, I have a business, you know, I have a team, everything looks good. But on the inside, I knew that I was empty. I knew I was like not fulfilling my calling. So... I knew I had to do women-related business. I was related to, like, lean it to cult. Like, I was called to help other women. So by doing this, um, it started and kicked off Soul Rich Woman. But before all this happened, 
um, trained as an occupational therapist. I graduated as an occupational therapist. I work with kids with learning difficulties. And then I also work with patients with mental health. And I also uh, do image consultancy. And I was from Singapore. So all these things kind of added together and um, allowed me to become who I am. Working 14, at 14 years old has taught me tenacity and grit and to never give up. My mother is one of my biggest pillars of support. And even though I was bullied in school because I was poor, I had no money, you know, there was this incident, there was this group of girls who came up to me and cornered me in a basketball court. And one of the leaders came up and pulled open my shirt, exposing my bra strap and my bra. And she was saying, oh, this is the color of the bra? Is this the same bra you're wearing to, again today? And I felt devastated. So repeatedly, I was bullied in school over and over again. So that's why my mother was the one that has continuously given me strength and my big why of why I do what I do even up till now that I always tell the women is that if you really have a big why, nothing can stop you. Nothing can hold you back. Um, so that's what, what I am and what I do in a nutshell. I love it. And I, I want to come back to the Miss Singapore uh, thing in a moment because um, you, you won Miss Singapore twice, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I want to come back to that uh, and, and how that factors into your story. But it's interesting. I didn't... Um, I'd, I'd listened to some of your other interviews before we ever got the chance to, to chat and read through a couple different things. I'd never actually heard that part of the story. And what's interesting, I didn't know that you grew up without a lot of money and that I knew that like you had to support the family and that's why you worked, you know, younger brother working from 14 and all of that. But that story about being bullied on the court is interesting because there you were being made fun of for not having enough money. And yet now here you are, once you've found success after, you know, you've struggled and gone through different um, iterations of your business and now you've found financial success, you're still committed to it being about more than just financial success, which is interesting because a lot of people who grew up without money, when they get a taste of it, that becomes kind of the central thing for them. They hold on to it very tightly and that becomes what a lot of their work and existence revolves around. But for you, it seems like you have a very healthy relationship to that money. And, and I'm curious if it's because you never want anyone to feel the way that you felt in that moment. Well, I would say there are three things. First, um, I, I think the, the awareness part came when I started to go through my own journey of um, self-healing in 2003, 2004, that was when I got started. Someone introduced me to some programs and then I, my mind started to open up and that was when um, I think healing happened for me. The other one, I think is my mother. I think my mother has a great influence on me and my mom is not the typical stay-at-home mom. She will always be out. She's like a community leader, an Indian chief, you know, and a pillar of support. Uh, I still remember I had an event that I had needed to fill seat, seats. So it was a stadium. And I, I urgently called my mom. I said, mom, I, needed, I, I need help. I said, she said, what? I said, I need people to come to, to this event. You know, and we're still missing some people. She said, how many do you need? Uh, she, you know, she actually asked me, how many buses do you need? So one bus has about 40 seats. So I said, don't worry. I said, as many as possible. You know, quickly, I just pay for the buses. You know, quickly get me people. And then later on, my mom came with three buses. 
that's 40 times 3, 120 people <laughs> in a very short period of time. So I think that really taught me a lot of things, not just about money, but I think is as a leader, you can do so much more with that. The third thing is about, I think my own, my own realizations that, and I'm, because really I've co coached many, many women, I've seen the, the attachment with money, the attachment with many other things. I really feel that a woman can really truly be happy, be free, not just about the money, but also about, you know, being fabulous, having that confidence. And that was my journey as well. I mean, winning Miss Singapore, I mean, I was fabulous. You know, I had the freedom to travel around the world. I was able to do so many things. Plus, now I had a success of the, the business. I think it's, 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 it's that women can have it all. So that's why I believe in the F word, that women can have the F word. And that's why we started the movement of Soul Rich Women. How much has Miss Singapore and, and your involvement with that um, been a blessing and how much has been a curse? Because I'd imagine that on the one hand, it gives you a remarkable amount of exposure to kind of grease the wheels for a conversation. It opens the door for you to say, you know, I won Miss Singapore twice and now I do all of this other fabulous work. But on the other hand, it could be the sort of thing that people say, oh, well, that's just the beauty queen, right? And, and discount all of the other things that you've had, you know, this enormous career experience from 14 and doing all these other things, they could look at that one thing and say, oh, well, she's just the beauty queen. So how, what has that experience been like for you to have that as part of your resume uh, as you're trying to go about making the change you're trying to make in the world? Well, having the beauty queen title really opened doors. I mean, after I won, immediately, you know, I took on the image consultant search. And because of my experience since I was 14, I was able to move a class of 10 to moving a group of 1,000. So all this experience allowed me to work with politicians in Singapore. They hired me to work on their, for example, body language and their grooming and department. And, you know, I also worked with CEOs of companies and decision makers. So it has been really awesome. At the same time, it was a double-edged sword because of the the title, people will naturally associate and stigmatize the, the word beauty queen. You know, either you are a bimbo, you have uh, big boobs and no brains and, and things like that. It's a natural thing that it does happen. But I believe with the work that we are doing, I mean, I believe in about showing results. So um, it's all about showing results. So if the more results you can show and people can see, Right, So the people who are naysayers or dream slayers or the gossipers, they can say what they want, but the results will speak louder than words. So that has been my pillar of principle um, in anything and everything that I do. It is about showing the results. So starting Soul Rich Woman, when we're fully focused in building Soul Rich Woman as a women community, women platform, um, that was also um, difficult for us at the beginning because women tendency don't trust women who are beautiful, who seem successful or look successful because there's a judgment of, oh, it's so unattainable, it's so difficult, you know, you are, who, you are beauty queen because, you, you know, they will give themselves so many reasons. So, by having that principle of results speak louder than words and showing that consistency, um, that is key to our success. Uh, and now, I think many, uh, many of the women, other women have produced their own results, which is, you know, they make how much online, you know, they're, they're, they're being fabulous now, their freedom, their financial independence. And some of our members going through the Soul Rich Woman Blueprint has achieved financial freedom 
outside of independence. Okay, so that's really awesome. So results speak louder than words. Uh, but to really, really round it all up, it's all about telling stories. And stories really speak to the people. So stories and living by the principle of results. So there's a, a couple things I want to talk to you about that. I think the, the place I want to start with is that um, you had a conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk at, um, at an event and you had asked him a question about how women can get out of their own way. And, and you just made me think of it in saying that, um, you know, oftentimes women will not trust women who they see and they think are beautiful or they're successful and they have these hangups that stop them from moving forward, pulling the trigger on actually taking the action that will move them towards results. So you asked Gary Vaynerchuk about that and he had his answer to it. So I'm going to ask you the question now, which is that, um, what advice do you typically give to women now who are in their own way and who are trying to get over that confidence hurdle or get over that cynicism that they aren't able to do it? What are some of the things that you start out by talking to women about? I don't even talk. I just bring up the women whom have succeeded through the platform with so rich women and the women I've helped and let them speak instead. Because sometimes it's never about you. In fact, most of the time, because of this thing that I'm building, So Rich Woman, it's not about me. It's really a legacy platform where the women can come together and learn more about themselves. So um, what we do is we show stories, really showcase success stories. It's, it's about that formal, you know, that you, you want them to see that somebody has done it, she has done it, so it's possible. Oh, this person has done it, it's possible. So we showcase a lot of these um, results. Yeah, because sometimes the more you say, the, the, the worse it becomes. So don't, sometimes best is don't talk, show them the results, show them the case studies and show them the stories and let other women speak on, on their own experience. And with that, yeah, the things will transform. Got it. I think one of the big things is obviously talking about um, not just the success, but also I think one of the reasons why your story is relatable is some of the adversity that you've overcome. And, and so far, We've touched on a lot of the highlights of your story to get here, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to, to go into some of the low points of it. I remember reading um, on one of the things that you had wrote was about a point where you went into six figures of debt and you were super depressed and things were really not great for you, and it was a really tough place for you. And um, if I remember correctly, there was somebody who came in to kind of provide you with some guidance and some help. So... I think your story resonates so much more when, um, when we look at the full picture of it. And I think that's part of the issue with entrepreneurship these days is that there's such a focus on the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and the glitz yeah. and the hustle and you know, throwing wads of hundreds around that we lose sight of the fact that it takes time, it takes patience. There's going to be a lot of ups and a lot of downs, probably more downs than ups. And your story... From, from what I've read, had some pretty low points. Can you talk a little bit about those and how you were able to rebound from that to get to where you are now? Oh, so when I was going through the six-figure debt, it was tough because I didn't go into it because of my own problem. No, it was because I had a failed partnership uh, in a business and the partner left and you know left me with all the debts to clear. So what I've learned is to really find um, people whom you can trust and also work on your contracts and work on black and whites in business. Yeah, so that's, that's a few things actually that, that really caught me to, um, that has really taught me a lot. Um, 
I, I went through depression and of course all suicidal. I mean, as a girl, I mean, I, I don't know what to do, right? So thank God for the support system um, and my mentor. Um, he was uh, he was a bankrupt. And then he, after that, he turned around and he was a hundred million dollars um, business. So I, 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 to me, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stubborn as well. You know, like if you got to speak to me about my problem, you better gone through it before. Don't, don't talk on the icing on the cake because a lot of people are talking, but it's free. You know, talk is free. Air is free. So what is it that you have in you that can speak to me? So somehow the universe sent him um, this mentor who was able to speak into my life. And because of his guidance, he has gone through it and he got out of it. And then he made the hundred million dollars. And I was like, okay, this guy has done it. And, you know, this person has done it and he has gone through it. And I'm sure that there's a way to, to do it, right? So listen to him. I, I did exactly what he told me to do, which was to set up a system and process um, get my act together. Of course, I still need to cry and, and go through my emotional things. So yes, accept and embrace the failures, turn them into lessons where I could share with other women in the future. Because before we were all masters, we we're all masters of disasters. I love that. Before we're all masters, we're masters of disaster. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so I'm a big fan of systems. I'm a big fan of processes. And another thing that I think you and I share as a, um, I guess as an ideal is I know you, I've heard you speak before about consistency and how important that is and how, it, how important that's been as a component of your success. Um, so beyond showing up and doing the work each and every day, because that can sound, even though that is among the hardest things to do is to literally just do the work day in and day out that can be one of the hardest things. It can sound very basic. So I'm curious, beyond consistency, in addition to consistency, is there anything else that you think has been sort of the secret sauce to your success? So pairing consistency with this has been the secret of Janisha's success. So I follow this structure. I first find my mastery, then I go into my niche. So I differentiate myself from the rest. That's why you see so rich women uh, we, we only talk about, even though we are a women community, we focus on only to go from offline to online. We only focus on getting clients online because there's different methods of doing online businesses, right? Or bring your business online. So we only focus uh, on getting clients online, getting recognition online. Yeah, so that's our focus. And then from there, I look into building teams, leveraging on systems and process by doing more with less. After that, we look, I, look into, I look into the next step, which is to have synergy. Synergy means that, you know, how can you grow your business by working in an ecosystem? So that's my process of stacking up to my success. So besides the consistency, you really need to find your mastery, your niche, and then your team's lab. You, know, you do have to build your um, leverage. You need to know how to leverage and then you go into your synergy. So that's how you actually develop. So, so that's for me. Yeah. Just, just, rem yeah, just remember, just keep running until your bank account looks like your phone number. So that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, that, that I would probably roll that all up into have a bunch of really good systems and follow them. So that's kind of like pairing with the consistency is like, you got to figure out all of these other 
unique value propositions and, and elements that you're going to consistently execute on and, and tie all the different pieces together, um, which I think is, is obviously very good advice. So you have an enormous community. You said it's what, 200,000 members is in this community, you said? Mm-hmm, 200,000. How many people have gone through like the blueprint and your different processes and, and started businesses and done all of those things? Quite a lot, in fact, because we work with local partners as well. So the local partners, uh, we actually go uh, teach them our framework. So they will use the framework to go through with them, the women, so that you know they can really um, anchor these women. So while we are developing the online systems and the outreach and the community, um, the partners offline, they are doing their groundwork as well. So that's how we grow. It's never alone. That's why alone you are strong. Together we are unstoppable. Got it. I want you to single out uh, a particular example for me, if you could, just to make it real kind of how you work with people. So can you tell me about one of your biggest uh, successes, not you personally, but of the people that you've coached and you've worked with, who's been one of your biggest successes? And can you talk a little bit about what that process looked like from where they started, what you did with them, and then where they are now? Well, um, I probably take a few hours to finish this, but I just just joking. <laughs> um, okay, so this lady she run a fitness studio. Okay, so when she first started, she was working corporate nine to five. She was earning a high six figure pay, and then um, she was taking a lot of different certifications to to start her own um, fitness studio. Right, so she did start, but it failed. She went to five figure debts. And because of my story of my six-figure debt, she kind of knew that I was able to help her. And she came to me um, back in 2015. Yeah. And then from there, um, she invested in the, you know, in herself to really look into how can she progress again and pick herself up. So through the blueprint, we look at the um, for example, we look at her branding, we look at her messaging, and then we look into how she is not seen just as a corporate nine to five, but also the um, uh, also a business owner. Uh, today, after three or three, four years, um, she she has a lot of tremendous result. In 2016, she has only 100 customers taking manual um, that means only taking customers in via manual, like those books that you have to write down, okay, uh, you know, uh, in, this instructor comes to class or this student comes from which class, you have to pen them into this notebook. From 100 customers to 2,000 customers in 2018. And then in 2019, uh, she has 7,000 customers. So she has grown um, tremendously. And recently, she has attained financial freedom without needing to work anymore. She can choose to work, choose not to work, but her entire business is growing. And then she expanded also to Indonesia. So now she's in Singapore and Indonesia. So that's really amazing. So the blueprint itself really can help one to get clients online by really differentiating who you are so that you are not in the red ocean, but in the, your own blue ocean. And most importantly, own the F word at the same time. So this girl did it all by going through our blueprint. Let's talk a little bit about your marketing operations, branding, kind of the way that you go about things, because I know that you're a very heavy marketer, the way that you approach working with your clients, but also the way you really run your own businesses, you're very heavy on marketing. Um, and 
talking about bringing businesses online, there's a, a pretty large um, group of online marketers that are out there that are doing the you know Facebook ads, uh, email marketing, and email drips, lead uh, generation, and then there's you know other methodologies as well. There's you know the webinar. There's all of these other different ways in which you can bring in business. And you're talking about bringing a variety of different types of businesses from offline to online, fitness studios, um, you know, uh, cafes, all different sorts of businesses. What's kind of your approach in general to designing out a digital strategy to start bringing in leads for businesses online? Do you have a particular um, uh, sort of like go-to strategy that you use? I mean, I know I have like a handful of different digital marketing strategies that I recommend to clients because they work. I know that they're cost-effective. I know they produce results. Do you have a particular set of favorite tools? I know you're you're very bullish on Facebook Live. You know, what's kind of your what, what's kind of your favorite way of approaching things typically? I think a lot of people forget that we work only with women and women function very differently. A lot of the women have gone through, like what you said, they've gone through some online courses on webinars, how to do Zoom or how to do like a Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing. But why our number is so big at 200,000? Because these women get lost with all the babble jargon, technical jargon that everybody, the marketing world is using. Our true success is because our strategy, we don't even jargon speak to any one of them. We speak fish language. Fish language simply means we don't, we, we keep it simple, direct, and we use a lot of metaphors, a lot of stories, and um, we use like for example, we talk about fish, you know, find your own fish or what the fish, fish, F-I-S-H. So fish means, you know, who is your target audience. But, you know, English, right? Target audience, right? Can't you understand target audience? Yeah, but for women to really fully understand the full uh, capacity of what is marketing, really you have to go to the level where understanding the brain and the visibility languaging and the the whole process of how women need to be supported as well as women. As far as the tools that you tend to recommend for the women that are, are part of your, um, your community, I know that you're a big fan of Asana and you're a big fan of Infusionsoft, which would lead me to believe that you have certain ways that you like to manage projects and certain ways that you like to build out um, you know, certain types of marketing funnels. Um, are there any sorts of tools that you find yourself recommending time and time again for any particular reason, or is it more about fitting a certain methodology regardless of tools? Oh, yes. So first and foremost, there is definitely the, the FISH methodology that we use, which is part of the Soul Rich Woman Blueprint. Um, there are tools that I highly recommend, like, I mean... I would not recommend a newbie to start on Infusionsoft. I mean, like I would recommend someone to use either like click, click funnels or, or lead pages. And having been in the online world for quite a while now, um, I would say that now click funnels is, I would say, quite a master in making things really simple for someone who pays one fee and you could even just get started like immediately and have all the kind of like the functions that you need to even promote your businesses to, to the world online. But of course, um, the other tools that I also really believe in, which is the F word, which is like I said, funnels and well, like the other one that you mentioned, Facebook ads. I think the ads part is still essentially important. But what a lot of people, uh, a lot of women still get really confused about is about the 
offline, how do you find the fishes online, right? So like I had this group of uh, university entrepreneurs. I mean, uh, entrepreneurs mean work yeah, in the corporate world, but they go and attend like, a, a course in, in university to learn about entrepreneurship. So one of the examples they did was to, to I say, find your fish, right? So they went to the playground. Their, their fish was actually um, this elderly women whom, or they can actually uh, recruit them as sales ambassadors for this rice that is from Myanmar. So they went to the playground to kind of like wait for these people to arrive. But if you trans translate this into the online world, where are these ladies? Where are these elderly people? Where? How, how do you find them, right? So it's really to know and understand exactly who, are, uh, who is your target audience, who is your fish, and then moving into the various softwares or various... Uh, what we call the, the systems because at the end of the day, it's never just about the products and services nor the systems. It's really like, like what you said, Jeff, it's about the strategy and the methodology. Once you get it right, you know, it's duplicatable, right? It's not just about that one thing. It can be repeated, it can be duplicated and that is key to your business success with, with, by growing these um, uh, systems. Yeah, I would say that if there's anything that I wish I learned earlier in my journey as an entrepreneur, it's how important systems are. Um, I'm I'm curious how that came about for you because you mentioned that you were looking into franchising, and it was actually when I started. It was when I read a book. Um, there were two books that I read that were really impactful, but the one that that comes to mind is The E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, and in that he talks a lot about building your business as an entrepreneur as if you're going to sell it, which basically means building out the processes and the different ways that you would run your business so that you could essentially pass along that business to somebody else. You could sell your entire business operations. And, and he used McDonald's as an example for that. And it was when I read that that I really got like, wow, your business is not scalable and it is not transferable unless you have your processes in place. And it's not even optimizable unless you have some sort of a process in place because you're constantly starting over. And you talk a lot about process. I mean, you even named it the, the blueprint. When I had um, my agency, my social media strategies were called the social blueprint. So I'm with you on the, the lingo for it. Um, so I'm very much about process and very much about systems. I see you are too. I'm curious where that came from. Have you always been the sort of person that um, thinks orderly and thinks in systems and processes, or was that because of that moment where, you know, everything kind of fell apart and you had to rebuild it by way of, you know, kind of getting your stuff together and building out your processes? You, you remember you asked me about my six-figure debt? The way to get out of it was to run through the process and then repeat the process, and that's how I got out of it, right? So think about it this way. I mean, I got to know about systems and process when I was going through a transition phase. When I was still an, um, an image consultant, I was still, I work, I get paid, I work, I get paid, I don't work, I don't get paid. So it's not a very replicable process. So I was looking for a solution to go from offline to online and I found it. Uh, I, I managed to follow my mentors, systems and process. And I, in three months, someone who is a total newbie made $100,000 and within a year, I crossed my first million. So that's why I, I, I believe so much in systems and process and that's how I got started. And it was enhanced even more when I was running my cafe retail chain 
because we were able to duplicate the process to licensing and franchising systems. And not just in Singapore, we were in Malaysia, we were in Indonesia, we, we were in Vietnam, you know, so that really showed me that, okay, if you're able to duplicate it, with the systems and process, you can really scale it. And that's how we got noticed by a public listed company. And we were bought over and we exited beautifully. That's awesome. That's a really uh, inspiring story. And it's a, it, I would kind of put a pin in that for anybody listening, that uh, it's a call to action to really sit down and think about your processes and map them out, think about them and continually look back at them and refine them because it really is in many ways, the secret to your success. If you want to grow an agency, if you want to grow a company, it's all about knowing what it is, how we do what we do here, and then how do we make it even better. So I'm a huge fan of that advice. Um, I'm curious, given that you're someone that a lot of people look to and are inspired by, I mean, you've got an entire tribe of women that are looking to you as an inspiration and looking to you for advice and counsel. I'm curious who you're inspired by right now. Who are the people that you're keeping an eye on that are you know, challenging you to level up and get better. Um, and, and, you know, where, where can people, um, you know, kind of get the sources of information and, and inspiration that you're looking at? For me, now one of the women leader I'm looking up to, um, of course, my mother, but the other one uh, is really successful in business is a seminar organizer in the world, right? The, their name is uh, Success Resources. And the lady, they are like, this, she's a co-founder of Success Resources. They started this 25 years ago with her husband. So her name is Veronica Tan and they are at $100 million, okay, business. And she really inspires me because she is the woman behind the entire business. The husband is, she always say that she is the neck and the husband is the head. So she's the neck, she controls everything. The husband is the head, you know, is the visionary that does all the different stuff as a part of the business. So um, I'm really inspired by her first by, you know, she is traditional as in Asian women. Two, you know, she can do business. Three, she can really run a family very well. I think that really encompasses what I want as well, having and own the F word. And she is truly someone very amazing. And she, because even though she's so successful, she's also very down to earth, very humble. So I really think that this is something that I love and um, somebody I look up to. Very, very cool. That's uh, that's somebody, I'll be sure to check them out. I just did a, a quick little Google search for, uh, is it uh, successresources.com? They're in Singapore, right? Yeah, so they're a Singapore company, but they organize uh, seminars for like Tony Robbins, T. Half Ecker, and, and stuff like that. So, so recently, I've been signed uh, under them as one of the speakers. Uh, and by knowing them at a more personal level, I discovered that, wow, you know, I never knew that she was the one, you know, because she has always been behind the scenes so many years for the last almost 25 years and only because of some you know some of like other women who are around her who encourage her to step up a woman who runs a hundred million dollar business who is always behind the scenes you don't need the recognition you know but she decided eventually now to step up to say that yes you know she really want women to have it all as well so that was why I really felt that she was not being seen for a long time but now when she stepped up I'm like wow the success is now totally there like a beacon of light, giving women hope that it's possible as an Asian woman. 
Do you think there's anything that's standing in the way of women? And I mean, I'd say just everybody, but women, particularly since that's the group that you work with most, that's stopping them from having it all. I mean, outside of, I mean, I'm sure you would say that there's the mindset and there's the process and all things, but do you think there's anything external, any factors that are concerning for you uh, that stand in the way of more women having it all, having what they want. You mentioned, you know, kind of the culture in Vietnam, for instance, that, you know, if you're working, you're not necessarily seen as feminine by your family. You know, what are some of the things, if there are some things um, that are external out in the world that you think right now are obstacles that are standing in the way of women being able to have it all? Family support. Sometimes women we really want to see our family supporting us or giving us that support. And I have many women in the community who are married, um, but their husbands, um, they're not very supportive. And sometimes they do not know how to communicate with their wives, perhaps. So that really pulled them back. And, and because when they are stay-at-home moms or sometimes they, are, they love the family a lot and we love us, we put our family first above our business and when if our family was to make a lot of noise or to say things that really pull us back we will naturally want to just give our business and our dreams up and just go back to to where we were before because then there'll be no noise in the family because that's where you spend the most time isn't it so the big thing like you said after, other than culture i would say it would be the family support that makes sense and i feel like that's um I'm sure that that's probably a bigger, th bigger thing culturally in uh, Asia than it, than it may be in the United States. But I think that's also a very big factor in the United States. I, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I know who, you know, younger people, they start out and try to, you know, build a business and their parents say, when are you going to get a real job? You know, mm. when are you, when are you going to actually find something consistent? And it's that kind of undermining commentary that makes being an entrepreneur very difficult because it's already a difficult thing to do to deal with all the pressures that is uh, starting a business, coming up with what your positioning is, finding your niche, finding your market, finding your messaging, all the different things you have to do. And then on top of that, you have to actually convince people that you have an actual job because you work for yourself. So um, that, is, that is a very relatable concern, I think, that is standing in the way for all entrepreneurs. And on top of that, I think it's also, um, I, I would put, and I don't know if this is the same in Asia, but um, I think that it, it's, it's a difficult, um, societal climate to be an entrepreneur in the sense that you have more security, at least in the United States, um, in some ways by working for somebody else than working for yourself. You have greater access to healthcare, you have a more consistent salary, and because there's less of a social safety net, um, you, you know, you have a greater deal of fear while being an entrepreneur than you would working for somebody else. So is, are, are those any of the same factors that you might have in Asia where there are these sort of downsides to being an entrepreneur that would just make it seem easier to go and work for somebody else? That is why community is very important. And I want to add on to what we've asked earlier. Um, that's why one of the solutions was to develop clubhouses around Southeast Asia, which means it's like a safe haven. It's like a home office kind of space, like a co, uh, how do I say this? Like a co-work, co-sleeping kind of space. So I have, okay, so for example, in Singapore, I, I mean, my home, uh, 
Um, I'm working on home office because we we are online, right? And I travel so much. So I have like extra rooms. So I converted these rooms into like one podcasting room. So I have a room that is a studio. I have a room that is a webinar room. So like the, the women who want to do their webinars. I have a room where they sit down and then they do their, their work. You know, a place where they are not surrounded by the noises or like you said, the, the, climatal, the climate situations that cause them to drop out from entrepreneurship, right? Because of, you know, you have to get a job, you know, you, have, you want a security and things like that. But I think because of the, the, what the, the economy is pushing forward where they're talking a lot about entrepreneurship, I don't think that is really the main key here in Southeast Asia. I would say that it's more like, okay, now the, the voices that is in our heads and the people that's around them. So by having these safe spaces, the women, for example, come over for four hours um, to, to work or sometimes they, they will, you know, they will just, um, you know, come over to, together. And when they come together, they do their work together, they know that they're not going to be disturbed by the noises at home or at other places. And that's when they can focus. And we have a very good success rate after implementing this model, business model into our business. Um, it's so amazing. I, we, we, because there are women saying that, you know, I go to a cafe, you know, we have to buy drinks, we have to do this and do that. But when you create an environment that feels like home, they know that they're safe to do the thing that exactly what needs to be done. Wow. I tell you, one of the women in our community, in fact, quite a number of them, launched their podcast in, what, 48 hours by just, you know, going to the podcast room, they sit down, they they press some buttons and then they, they, they just do it, right? So I can see it happening when women are given that space, the equal opportunity that they can succeed, that they know that there's a people who are giving them the resources to perform in their own dreams to live their successes. That's when they know that if they succeed and when they succeed, they too can inspire other women as well. And that is what really truly is what we are doing overall. I love that. And I think that's a really cool um kind of feature of what you're working on. I want to ask you about one thing relative to Singapore though. So my wife's cousin is actually currently living in Singapore. Uh, he, was, he was living in the United States and um, his company moved him over to Singapore and he's going to be there for like the next three or four years. So I'm learning a lot more about Singapore and there's a couple things that um, I'm hoping you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, Healthcare in Singapore is universal healthcare and housing is housing guaranteed or is it just that um, I know that that homelessness is quote unquote illegal, but that the government makes it so that everyone has the ability to get into a home. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and whether or not that factors into any decision? Because it would seem to me that that would make entrepreneurship feel a little bit less risky if you knew that there was you're going to have healthcare regardless and that there's a very good chance you're going to have a roof over your over your head definitely i would say um once you have all these safety features and safety nets in place the hunger level um uh, would definitely be not as high as neighboring countries okay i mean put it in this in this way um do you, for, uh, do you mean by hunger do you mean like actual hunger for food or do you mean like the the hunger to succeed the hunger to succeed. I mean, there are people who are hungry to succeed, but comparing to neighboring countries, I think, yes, we have the financial capacity. We have the, the things that we want to do. Sometimes uh, because of the comfort zones that we are in, we have a house, we, we have like healthcare benefits, for example. Um, yeah, you know, it does, does, does um, 
I mean, it does affect to a certain extent, but but we as Singaporeans, we don't really own the like so-called the rights to we will have a home or we will have healthcare benefits. I also want to put that in because you have to save your money to buy a home. But what we do as a, what the government do for Singaporeans are that they give us grants to pay uh, what we call assisted funds to pay for our housing, so that almost every Singaporean will have a roof over the head, right? For healthcare, as a Singaporean, you will have subsidies when you go for healthcare. Uh, and, and it really does help, right? Because cost is rising, cost of living is definitely rising. So yeah. Yeah, that seems like such a dream in so many ways. I mean, I'm sure that there's, there's obviously downsides everywhere. And, but, you know, having access to healthcare and healthcare subsidies that make it affordable for anybody and making sure there's a roof over your head. It's a, it's gotta be a really nice thing. So I'd imagine that's uh it's kind of a nice benefit of it. Um, so pivoting, like kind of hard pivot from that. There's a couple things I want to ask you about that. Um, I don't know where it fits in the conversation, but um, it, it, it's a uniquely, uh, it's an experience I think you're uniquely positioned to comment on. So um, by pretty much every way of looking at it, you would be considered an influencer um, just by the size of your network, the number of people that you directly uh, connect with and influence, um, the, you know, the size of your social followings and email lists and things like that, you would be pretty much considered by most to be an influencer at some level or another. Um, I guess first, I'm curious, one, if you think that that label is appropriate, and then two, I'm curious whether or not you've ever been approached at the level that you're at uh, to leverage your influence in exchange for money or for services or for free access to things. Like how much have you in your role been, um, I guess, operating as an influencer? First of all, I don't really think I'm an influencer because... um, I mean, our a lot of societal in, uh, perception of influencers are just you know maybe writing blogs and writing social media and then that's about it. And then most of them don't run a, really run a business; they just run themselves. So I think uh, not really that correct, not that apt. But I think yes, I am in an influencer in the space where um, where we talk about women advocacy for women empowerment, advocacy for women to own the F word. I think that if you put it into context, it would be definitely more uh, appropriate. Of course, there are incidents where people come to us, they want to exchange database or they want to promote their services. Like I said, um, does it benefit my community? I have got people who are so-called um, um, business owners themselves or they, they come to us and then they, they want it they wanted to sell their courses and they said, why don't you become my affiliate, right? And then if you, if you sell my sales course and then you will get a percentage of it. So this person was actually pretty famous as well. And then he came to me and then I'm like, in my heart, I'm asking myself, really? I mean, I become an affiliate. I sell the course to the women, but does it really serve the women? So I asked him, I said, so how will your program help my women? And he said, yeah, it will help them in their sales. So I, I realized one thing. People like to, when you talk about JV or affiliates, uh, I mean, for whatever the matter of exchange of business, what is the value do you put on the table? Have you ever thought for the other person? Uh, Besides then saying that the cost will benefit the person or your products or services will benefit the community. But what really does it value add to the entire vision, then the mission, and then the, the values of the ecosystem? 
So one recommendation, if you ever, for those of you who are listening, who want to work with other people, always ask yourself this question. What really is the value you can put on the table? Research about the, that the other platform or person that you you're looking at and look at their vision, their mission and their core values, you know, other than just, because it's never just about the products or the services. We do partner with um, very big brands like Mercedes, Facebook. Uh, we also partner with Lazada. Um, upcoming, we are partnering with um, Circles Life, uh, Sennheiser, etc. So all these brands work with us because they value add to the community by helping them grow from offline to online, by helping them grow by becoming uh, more empowered in terms of looking at lifestyle, looking at how they can achieve the F word by being more confident. So all these things need to be added together. So do consider that when you're working with people. What is your kind of current take on the state of influencer marketing or, you know, how influence factors into marketing in 2019 and beyond? I think influencer marketing um, will continue to grow because I can see brands using um, influencers in the space more and more because they, like you said, they, they have the attention, right? But also um, the numbers could be fake, right? because of the, that you can buy likes and, and things like that. But I think moving forward, at least in 2020, I can see that the, the realism, that means you really want to see this person is not just, you know, um, well, a keyboard warrior or photo um, app warrior, but also someone who can speak and carry herself or himself well offline. So there is a trend where we are, we are looking for people to work with influencers in the space to to put these two factors together because when we present the brand or we present a, a, a certain um, a, a launch of a certain product or service, we want to have that full package other than just being online as well. So I think that, that moving forward is important. Okay. I agree with all of that. I agree with all that. So um, I want to ask you about a few more things before we wrap up. And, and I think that these are also, um, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about how you think about some of these things. We talked a little bit earlier, just very briefly, we, we kind of like skipped over and, and, and briefly touched on leadership. Um, so you are in a leadership role in the sense that one, you have a team of people that you have to give assignments to and you have to inspire and you have to do all these sort of things. So you have the leadership role in terms of your own team for your own business, but then you also have tasked yourself with being a leader of other women in leading them to um, own the F word, right? So you're doing that. I'm curious how you see your role as a leader and what you think are some of the most effective things that you do to allow you to, to hold that position of leadership with your team and with your, uh, with your community. Set your culture set your core values, which is very important. So we have four core values. One is uh, play win-win. Two is ask clarifying questions. Three is no judgment, which means no gossiping and no judgment uh, because you never know until you walk five miles in someone's shoes. And then we also have um, this word called leverage, which is um, really looking into how we can put our, uh, our systems and process together to leverage by working less, uh, working less, but uh, I mean, we're well, working less. Yeah. So, so these four core values keep the the leadership position. I would say not say position, leadership space um, intact. Because when you lead by example and you live 
authentically through these four core values on and beyond, it really helps to show other women that you are real and that things are not just on the icing of the cake. It's really like deep. So that really is important. I think leader is also to me when I'm, um, I mean, how else I hold this leadership space, it will be to take the lead. And many times when, when we are leaders, we really need to look ahead and yet be able to look behind. Like our eyes are like 360, you know, front on the side and at the back. Because we, can, we, don't, we, should, we, we cannot leave any woman behind. At the same time, we need to be charting in front, looking at the vision ahead. One year down the road, what's going to happen? You know, half year, what's going to happen? Two years, what's going to happen? And then chart backwards and inform the rest of the team. So I think I'm very blessed because we, over the years, we have a leadership team as well. I mean, these are women entrepreneurs who serve in the community as leaders on the platform. So, so they, they saw my vision, they believed in me, they came on board. But what really won them over is that being real with them. That means being vulnerable with them um, and showing them who you are and who you can be. And then also showing who they are and who they can be. And that is important. Showing them the vision, charting the way, and what are the next steps for them encompasses all, plus putting in your culture. So what's the vision for, um, for your company and for you for, say, the next couple of years? Like, what, what is the big thing that you're trying to conquer and accomplish from here, if, you know, moving forward to the next few years? Like, where do you want to end up? Where do you want to be? So right now, we want to grow the numbers, definitely, in our, our members. We want to grow to 1 million uh, members. So this is what we are looking at. And in, just for next year, we are, we are now in the process of running this beta program. We are helping women to launch their podcast in uh, 48 hours in just three steps. So like a lot of the women are very afraid of all the tech that's involved in launching a podcast. So we take everything out and then we put all the women together, Asian women together. And because Southeast Asia alone, we don't really have a lot of women or female doing podcasting. So we are working with brands um, to do this initiative to teach women a voice, um, how to use voice to do marketing in 2020. So this initiative of the podcasting thing is a movement where we want women to know how to use their voice beyond just the videos um, to do their marketing online to get themselves clients, to get themselves um, brand recognition, as well as to get themselves out there, you know, becoming more confident, more fabulous as well. In fact, in the last two, three years, we have been trying to get uh, women to get onto like Facebook Live and like LinkedIn Live and et cetera, right? But um, somehow um, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, really, it's an uphill task. Yeah, so um, I find that just voice alone is so much easier to onboard women. So yeah, that could be the things that, um, that, that we are looking into. And then therefore, we launched this movement and initiative that is uh, moving into 2020. Rocking, rocking. All right. Well, I think uh, a good place for us to end on, I would love to know the answer to one final question because it fits perfectly into everything that I'm interested in. I want to know... What do you consider to be your one unique superpower? My one unique superpower is that I'm able to spot things that a lot of women can't see in themselves. 
perhaps it's my years of experience, I can see through the gifts and talents sometimes beyond what they think they can do or they, they can possibly achieve. So yeah, that's my superpower. And that's why I, those women who are under my mentorship and coaching programs, they really go through a huge transformation because I can pick those things out very easily. Love it. Well, Janisha, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I want to give you this point in the show uh, to tell people where they can go and be social with you, where they can learn more about the work that you do, where they can connect with you. Uh, This part of the show is yours to talk about, promote, or do anything that you want with it. Uh, If you want to sing a song, go for it. It's up to you. Uh, But I'm going to give you this point in the show just to tell everyone where they can go and connect with you. So you can look for me at soulrichwoman.com, S-O-U-L-R-I-C-H-W-O-M-A-N.com. My name is Janisha, spelled as G-E-N-E-C-I-A. And basically, I have two things for you. First is a ebook called the You Are Possible Personal Branding Secrets ebook, where I shared with you the seven steps of personal branding success, like how I got myself from from where I am now to where I want to be and get noticed by the big people and do big projects. So that is available for download on the website. The other one is how do you delegate 80% of your to-do list to your assistant so that you can make more money. All right, so that's very important because a lot of women tell me that um, they, they don't really have the money or they don't really have the time to do outsourcing or delegating. But let's answer these questions. Do you, do you go... Do you, do you go spa? Do you go manicure and pedicure? Do you go for your massages? Do you go for your facials? Do you go for your like weekly shopping? If you say yes to any of these questions, then you have money hidden somewhere. Just take $50 to 100 bucks out and then invest in back into your business so that it takes the mundane things out of the way so that you can function in your zone of genius. So it's available at soulrichwoman.com and yeah, you can look for me and connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram just by my name, Janisha, G-E-N-E-C-I-A and A-L-L-U-O-R-A, Janisha Alora. Perfect. And I will make sure to put every single bit of that into the show notes so that people can find you nice and easily. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for uh, getting up early. That would be early for me. Uh, <laughs> and chatting with me from all the way on the other side of the globe and sharing uh, you know, what you're working on, why you're working on it, and uh, you know, about your story. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. So uh, episode, I think, went really great. I hope you had a good time. I hope my listeners had a good time. I hope you come back for the next one. And if I had to say anything about this episode, I guess I would say it's shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay. If you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing shareable.fm where this podcast is hosted 
Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcasts, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look, and if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show, or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it, and this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you, and I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now. <laughs>